0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Rose podcast. This week I wanted to share with you a conversation that I had that was actually on an Instagram live and I enjoyed the conversation so much because we got to converse about just different aspects of relationship and and how those affect us today and I love this person so much and always love her point of view and the way she sees the world and just her level of understanding and, and also knowledge and wisdom. She's just a fantastic person. You know, it made me really think about, as I wanted to intro this, about how all types of conversations are so valuable. Like, you know, we have groups of people that we go to for the soul-based relationship, how does the world work? What's going on in politics? What's going on in the news? And uh, let's break down the soul versus the psyche and you know, we have maybe one to however many people that we like to go to those zones with, these zones of curiosity and and exploration and it's a safe space to do that. And there's other people that you're not going to have those conversations with that they might want to stay more on what you might call the surface and all of it has a place you know i think that often i can exhaust myself in wanting to understand the world and wanting to solve all of humanity's suffering and really forgetting that you know we also have to be human we have to take breaks we have to enjoy bowling just for bowling or you know a uh, appetizer is just an appetizer whatever it is that we're not always trying to break down the cellular structure of everything and trying to solve problems and i th- i think this can go to the level of intensity that we often might bring to situations you know i know when i was first beginning my personal growth journey i wanted everyone to understand and see what i was finally seeing that You don't have to do things you don't want to do. You don't have to believe things you don't want to believe. You don't have to subscribe to religions or relationships or whatever it is that are not for you. And you get to discern the difference between what you believe and what a group believes. And when you discover that, you so want everyone else to discover that. And I think we forget that it's in honoring our own journey and in honoring other people's that we allow people to be themselves and us to be ourselves. And it's a bit codependent, you know, in a lot of ways to try to save people, to try to, oh, this piece of information would just allow you to figure that thing out. And we forget that when we're in those situations, we often hear something from a friend and we're like, "Uh, you know what, Uh, get fucked. I don't want to hear that shit. (laughs) You know, we're like, "Uh, stop trying to fix me. You know, we get defensive and we can't hear it because we're not ready to. You know, I hear a lot of people say, like, if only I discovered this message five years ago or your podcast three years ago or whatever it is, because we think about a moment where we needed the information that we hear today, but that's only from the level of awareness we have today. Those The messages that we're all consuming and sharing exist at all times. It's just we're not always listening and we're not always seeking that information. And that's where cognitive bias comes in, that we seek information that validates what we believe. And I really do think it's so valuable to seek information that actually could possibly invalidate what we believe. So with all that said, I guess I just wanted to, I just, I wanted to reinforce that, Just take a deep breath and although there are certainly tons of very serious things going on in the world at all times, don't forget that you also need a break and you also need to take a breath and you also get to be human and you don't have to be everyone's savior and that you can just show up for yourself and you can take care of yourself and you can stop trying to figure out (laughs) this magical solution to all the problems in the world. Because I think in a lot of ways, letting go and trying to fix everything is one of the solutions. The let go and allow, let go and allow. And that's that balance between trying to co- control the world and trying to coerce the world and actually trusting that this universe is perfect. There is, you can't do, you can't force anything. And there's, you know, the, the rules of physics that no energy is lost, right? And I think we forget often that, you know, we're just like a tree. We're just like a plant. We're part of this cycle of life. We're part of the energetics that is the planet. I wanted to take a quick break in this episode to talk to you about the greatest struggle that people have in dating. And that is asking the right questions. And not just the right questions, but asking hard questions. Questions that determine if someone wants what you want, what you are, what your relationship status is. that deepen vulnerability and intimacy. And ultimately, asking the right questions allows you to get to know someone on a deeper level, gets to know their values, get to know whether they're a good fit for you. Now, I recognize that when I get feedback on asking questions, people say, that's too hard to ask, or it's too soon to ask that, or whatever the excuse or thought or feeling or fear might be. And so I thought, shit, let me ask the hard questions. And that's why I created Create the Love Cards. Create the Love Cards is created with such intention for you to deepen your conversations on dating. And because of that, the deck, when you open it up, it fits two smartphones. So you can put your phone inside the box as you take the cards out so you can both be present. Now, if someone doesn't want to play, I'm like, swipe left, that's a red flag. Like, who doesn't want to play a game? Second, I've got it in four sections. So we've got four play diving deeper, too much information because would it be a deck from me if it didn't have TMI, and building chemistry. So there's four sections for you to explore the landscapes of one another and see if you're a good fit. If you want to have deeper conversations, if you want to take this deck of cards on your dates or on your date night, or you think this would be a good gift for a couple, then go to createthelove.com slash cards. I put them at a really accessible price of 30 bucks And I can't wait for you to check them out. They've received rave reviews. People are loving them. I have actually one friend who took them out on its second date with someone that she was hitting it off with. And after she got the answers to the questions that the deck provided, she realized that this person was not a good fit and swiped left and now is in a relationship with someone she loves. So that's what dating is about, is it's about filtering. And also my intention is to support you along that journey to not just finding the person that you want, but if you're with them, asking the questions that help create and deepen intimacy. So go to com slash cards and grab a set now. This conversation was one of those conversations that was deep and beautiful. And I learned a lot and I enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed what sort of came through me too. And so I wanted to share that with you. And I guess, you know, with me in your ear or wherever you're hearing this from, that this is a conversation we get to have. And so I'm really excited to share this week's combo with Shalina Ayana from Rising Woman on Instagram. And, you know, wherever you listen to this, if you can go give this podcast, go subscribe to the podcast, go give it a five-star review and a written review. Without further ado, here is this week's combo. So I don't know what to talk about today. I was
1: kind of thinking we could just dance around and answer some questions and talk about a few things that have been coming up a lot lately in the in the field of relationship but is there anything is there anything that's been coming up for you a lot lately in your with your audience
0: i've been listening to an audio series that's about initiatory processes and so Mm -hmm. i've been really intrigued by that so i mean we could probably get into that as i'm sure it will come up naturally through Uh, the conversation, but I've been really, to me, I think it's such a interesting thing to think that historically we had initiatory processes that allowed us to move from adolescence to adulthood. Really that's what being, you know, being good at relationship is about, you know, acknowledging the childhood stuff and the ways we respond and then becoming an adult. And when there's not an initiatory process that occurs in a community, then, you know, we're sort of brought through the fire in our relationships, which I think is incredibly great. Mm-hmm. And if we don't know that that's what's being asked of us, which is really just to grow up, which is simplifying. And I don't mean to oversimplify it, but yeah. So true that. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I feel like our culture has sort of taken relationships and turns them either into a fairy tale, which is totally unattainable, or they just become these like really unhealthy containers to play out our childhood wounds. But we're not aware of that. We don't know that that's happening. And so relationships just get really chaotic. And nobody seems to know why in the moment, they just think that it's their partner. And it's that, you know, they chose the wrong person. And so we just keep jumping from person to person to person. And the pattern repeats. And so I think that that's, you know, a big piece of both of our work is really helping people see that the pattern is within and you know we always will find a person who will sort of fit that pattern perfectly and if we're coming at it from a conscious intention Which is to do our healing work, then, you know, we can actually work together and and go deeper and heal some of those wounds. But if we're in this state of, you know, no responsibility for ourselves and everything exists outside of ourselves, then really what's going to happen is that we're never really going to get to the healing. It's always just gonna be, you know, I'm a I'm a victim and that person is a bad person, and we just keep cycling through. So I really like to talk about that stuff and I feel like it's a tough one to recognize in the moment. So I think we should go a little bit deeper on that.
0: Yeah. You know, I think we, we come up with thoughts like there's no conscious blah, blah, blah out there. Like choose the gender. Yes. Um, there's this city's hard to date in. We come up with all these different, like my Tinder has a virus and I just get narcissists, narcissist, you know, yeah. and we start to do that because we haven't, as you were saying, like become conscious of, that are relational what we might call chemistry even is drawing us to people who are repeating our childhood experiences and that i mean gosh people weren't having this conversation even in the field of psychology up until more recently Mm -hmm. and you know that's a it shows you how much we've grown in the understanding of the human psyche which i think psychology is really beginning or continuing to merge with spirituality in a lot of ways which Mm -hmm you know, because it's like anything, we can become so disconnected and in our heads and we can become also too floaty and not grounded. So there's like these two extremes. And it is about the the integration of the both makes me excited to be part of this conversation because it's everything, you know, love is why we're here. Connection is why we're here. And we're not taught in school how to do that shit. You know,
1: I know it's really interesting. Lately, I've been posting a lot more about you know romantic partnership and and connection you know ben and i just launched our couples course so it's sort of been top of mind while we're working with couples but i've always written about relationship and i find it interesting that when i talk about relationship from a more you know romantic standpoint people can get upset because they're like well, you know, I want to be empowered and like that means that I don't need anybody and like how dare you say that, you know, I need another person. And I get that because, you know, the survivor archetype, which is my primary archetype with my wounding, is like it's not safe to trust. It's not safe because I've been hurt, I'm traumatized. People weren't safe. Nobody ever showed up for me, therefore you know, I need to do it all on my own. And that's sort of this trauma mindset. It's not reality. Like if we actually want to heal, what are we healing for? Right? If you're going to go sit on top of a mountaintop and, and meditate and you want to be the next Buddha, totally go ahead. That's fantastic. Do that. That's Great. awesome. You know, all the power to you. If I could, I probably would because relationships
0: really hard work. Yeah. Um, sometimes I want to go to that mountaintop and be like, I'm tapping out. Social media too. I'm out. Like, <laughs> give me a i'll do some ayahuasca or some mushrooms and sit in a forest
1: yeah well i'll say every time ben and i get in a fight i'm like i don't understand why i'm doing this like (laughs) why don't i just like go be alone in the forest like this sucks it's so hard and i don't need this i'm an independent woman but then i'm like (laughs) right like do you do that too I can't snap. So I don't, because like, I literally, I can't like this.
0: Yeah. Is- if you went like this and it made no noise, there yeah. was lose any sort of thunder,
1: not impressive. So, um, I just brew silently in my thoughts and, you know, <laughs> <helped>. <laughs> yeah.
0: I know that feeling, you know, when you're, I've been in those conversations where you're like, I don't miss this part of relationship, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, I liked the world where I was on my own and I, all my poop was in a group, you know, <laughs> like, like that.
1: All, all my but, poop was in a group.
0: Yeah. Like, you know, getting your shit together. Right. Yeah. And I really, to me, that's, <laughs> it's like you in a, in so many ways, relationship is a mirror to all the unintegrated things to all the things you're not good mm-hmm. at, but also the, the desire that um, someone else might be upset or in relationship to me. And I'm part of that, you know, and, the little boy in me who doesn't want to be wrong, doesn't want to not be liked, doesn't want to be in any sort of conflict uh, has to has to be acknowledged, but can't be in the driver's seat in that. moment. Yeah. You know, because that's the shutting down. There's no connection. Man, relationships are challenging. And I wish there was a Disney movie that expressed that when I was a kid, because there certainly wasn't. It was like, you just save a princess from a railway train track or a tower and she throws her hair down. You don't even have to make a rope. You just climb up her hair and you just save her. And then it's all good.
1: Everything's perfect.
0: God. Yeah. Or even, you know, the model of relationship we observed just through really what media has marketed more than anything, this breadwinner relationship. And you look at like ads from the 1960s or you look at our fifties and you look at even our grandparents' relationships and our parents' relationships a lot of the times. um, And you kind of go, well, sure they stayed together, but they didn't really like each other. And that's not true of all relationships from that time, but it's true of a lot of relationships from that time. And I think the model of relationship is changing so much, like Mm -hmm. what we want, what we seek and what we can get from a love and experience.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're wired for connection. What are we doing here? Like we're, I feel like a lot of us are just here to learn how to be in connection and it doesn't have to be romantic connection, but Relationship in general, you know, that's where we do our healing and that's where we do our deeper work. And when I look back at the history of marriage, for example, women couldn't even have a bank account or have a mortgage or get a car loan until the '60s. So you tell me, yeah, it's not that long ago. That's not that long ago. So people were marrying for love in the 1800s, but it was always still security first. So yeah this means that relationship has not actually been on equal playing ground it hasn't been about how can we meet each other it hasn't been about like how can we be two whole beings coming together to, you know, serve the world. It's always been about like, how can I get safety and security? How can I own an object of a woman to, you know, feel better about myself? There's, there's not been a lot of space for all different types of relationship to exist, especially where we see marriage as friendship, right? Cause that's the highest form of relationship is friendship. Yes. Can Our partner be our friend.
0: Can we, can we, um, have a deep reverence for them, you know, to have, to see them as a best friend. It's interesting because sort of that honeymoon phase, uh, period, you know, and I think in the research, they talk about how the honeymoon phase sort of lasts around three years and it goes from romantic love to companionate love. I was really starting to think more about that. Usually I think that cliff occurs because that's when, Enmeshment and codependency becomes magnified, and so attraction begins to wane. And maybe before that, because there's no space between us and another. And I was reading, rereading um, the art of of, of uh, the art of loving by Eric Fromm, mm-hmm. and there was a line that I I don't know why I didn't know this line when I read it the first time. But it was so good, and he talks about how we confuse the feeling of falling in love with being in love. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, isn't that it that we, we have this idea that love is chaos and uncertainty? And, and the, really, there is a beautiful nature to uh, being in the patience of uncertainty as a connection unfolds. You know, there mm-hmm. is something about figuring out if your worlds match and all of those things. And, but there's also this really beautiful, when you learn about it and you know it's normal, yeah. this sort of feeling of ease and coming home that actually occurs where it's not uh you know like they actually call when they say they're going to and that's attractive you know (laughs) like there's so much remodeling that happens in that experience you know
1: yeah yeah i agree i often talk about the difference between you know falling into relationship and consciously choosing it because Mm. this is another thing that happens is where when we don't have those wounds 10 to two, or we hadn't had those needs met when we were young, we can go out unconsciously seeking those needs to be filled from other people. And often we don't have a baseline for healthy or normal or safe. And our standards are quite low because we're looking for validation and approval. So we're not consciously choosing from a qualifying space. We're not going like, does this person have the similar core values as me? You know. Do we have shared interests? Do we have, you know, some core philosophies that, you know, match up? You know, would we have the same goals and dreams for lifestyle? Things like that. We're not asking those questions when we're coming from a place of the wound, when we're coming from this space of like, I just need to get security and love. Um, And that's a really scary place to operate from because then we, you know, go through the honeymoon phase. It's all exciting. And then the layers start to unfold and we start to see, I'm back in this pattern again. And it's very unfulfilling.
0: Yeah. I think of that, you know, it's a, there's a recognition all of a sudden you're like, wait, you're just like every other one I dated, or you're wounding me in a way that's similar or, and then we start with those beliefs, like there's no good people out there. And we think, you know, we start to think it's fate Mm -hmm. and in a way you could say it's fate, but I would say that it's fate inviting you, you know, to pay attention. It's a yeah. uh, choice, you know, in the audio series I'm listening to, it's called The Alchemy of Initiation. He talks about how, you know, Freud talked about this repetition compulsion, that we have this compulsion to repeat things. And I think about that in sort of patterns that are unhealthy, that that you keep repeating them because you haven't actually finished the journey. You haven't gathered all the things you haven't, you haven't you know, garnered all of the food and nourishment that lives in the pain of the disconnection. And you know, there's a moment where you recognize maybe at the rock bottom of the latest fracture of whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And you actually say, okay, what is actually here? How did I get here? And how do I never get here again? What would the wisdom in this moment ask of me? Yeah. And what I love about that is then there is a coming home with the gift. And in doing that, you don't have to go back out on the same fucking journey and call it faith or call it. And you start to see that love. I think as you, you create more love and safety within yourself, then you realize that it's a red flag when it's not.
1: Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. totally love it. I love that you're going on that journey too, because it's so much, it's so much my story as well to like, repeat patterns and think I'm done. And then to find myself in that pattern again and be like, huh? Oh, there's a <laughs> whole other here. Yeah. But you know, what's cool about it is that every single time I meet a new part of that pattern, it's like, there's this deeper teaching for me and I feel more integrated every single mm-hmm. time. And I think that if we're using our experiences as medicine, you know, we're not playing a helpless victim to the patterns of your relationships, then Real magic can happen, right? That is where the alchemy occurs. And that's kind of what I think both you and I are teaching is you can't change another person. You can't fix them. You can't convince them to do the work. And yes, sometimes people are shitty, but if you're doing the work and if you truly feel safe and secure within yourself, then you're going to have a much higher chance of being able to qualify other people and to be able to set boundaries and to be able to hold a really high standard for how people love you and how people show up for you.
0: Amen to that. Yeah, I, In that uh, journey of, of going and gathering more information and repeating the pattern, I was thinking about how the very things that garner the most wisdom, like let's say divorce or a breakup or um, choosing to question your religion, choosing to and being maybe uh, kicked out of your community or your religion or your culture or your family, Because of a choice you've made in your life, maybe you chose infidelity, maybe you, you know, did these things that create actually a large amount of shame. And they're not actually the reason someone should be isolated and kicked out because in those experiences, those people are usually the greatest researchers, because they're the ones who learn like, why did the relationship end? What is the wisdom you garnered in the pain of the experience? And it's interesting to me that our communities are often structured in a way that we kick that person out when that actually, what they need in that moment. And I think this is what, you know, everyone on this live and on our, each of our communities, which I'm sure we have a lot of crossover is we are actually a community that says, welcome back. You actually aren't broken. Your divorce is not a reason you should be exiled. It actually should be a reason that you should come home. Mm -hmm. And I started to really see that the things that garner the most wisdom are usually the things that cause exile from communities and families and systems that haven't actually explored their own shadow, Mm -hmm. that actually haven't uh, matured in some sense you know yeah. in that audio he talks about how people are us uh, we live in a sibling society like a bunch of adolescents and yeah. it's so true how we run our corporations how we uh our governments treat us like children you know
1: yeah yeah totally I agree with you it's that's a big piece of my book that I'm writing right now is all about our rock bottom moments and how those are usually like the most powerful teachings for us. And, you know, we've been taught not to, you know, share our deepest vulnerabilities. We've been taught to keep secrets. We've been taught that it's not okay to, you know, have a divorce or, you know, to end the relationship because our model of success looks one way. It's, you know, get a job, get a nice car, have a family, be married, have own a house and like have all of the materials. And uh, if you have problems about you know, if if you have emotional issues or if you have problems inside of the relationship, just don't don't say anything. Don't tell you. Don't
0: anything. say anything. That won't help. No. You might end the relationship. Don't yeah. do
1: that. <laughs> and that would be the worst thing ever because of course you're not whole and complete unless you have a partner. And I think that's where people get confused when I'm writing sometimes because I'm constantly saying, like, hey, you're already whole and complete. And relationship is the most beautiful gift you could ever give yourself but we're coming into relationship whole and complete. We're not coming into relationship as half a person. Right? So we're not coming to people saying, "Hey, I'm incomplete and I need you to complete me because otherwise I'm just not safe or whole in the world." It's different. So when we come into relationship from that space of I am whole and complete and I know that I'm also worthy of giving and receiving love. I'm brave and courageous enough to open my heart and to share that love rather than to let my my stories from the past harden me and keep me separate from love. You know, that's true healing. The ego always mm-hmm. wants to stay separate. The ego always wants you to be alone because that's where it's safest. Because if you're not vulnerable, you can't get hurt. And if you can't get hurt, you won't die. And on a primal level, I think that's what we're deeply afraid of is like this, not just like literal death that we completely sweep under the rug in our culture, but divorce is a death, right? Mm-hmm. Breakup is a death. Yeah. And we're so afraid of endings.
0: We are terrified of endings. And I think that's what coronavirus has really brought up for us, is the reality of our mortality. So much so that we're actually, in my opinion at least, ignoring a lot of the really clear data you know, and making these very, you know, the toilet paper was a real good example of what we could be like when we haven't processed or come to terms with, like, we're so afraid of dying with a dirty butthole, you know, that's the, like, that we started, you know, hoarding it, which is really <laughs> incredible, you know, and as you said, like, when we haven't just one recognized that, you know, it's It's interesting because our pain and our trauma and our suffering makes us think that no one is broken like me, right? Mm -hmm. And so it causes this isolation of self and actually an identity I'm unworthy or no one will understand me. And so in a way, and I use this word in an odd way, but there's like a narcissism often to our pain. Mm -hmm. And then it causes this isolation and when actually all of us are wounded all of us experience suffering all of us experience different levels of trauma and so this isn't to dismiss that but it's to say that that's actually what bridges us not what isolates us yes which is really interesting because as you were saying earlier our culture doesn't actually acknowledge that like divorce uh things like that so then why would i be able to acknowledge it myself you know it's It's kind of like if your parents never take responsibility for anything, look, if our governments don't take responsibility for bullshit, then why would we? It's not modeled for us. So in order to be in a good relationship, we have to start to take responsibility for ourselves and how our pain shows up in our relationships and even how it contributes to who we choose. Gosh, because that's. You know, as you were saying, if you don't recognize your wholeness, you'll seek someone else to complete you and then you'll be afraid to lose them. So you'll Mm -hmm. never have the conversations that might end the relationship, even though they're actually the very ones that deepen the relationship. And so you're caught in this paradox where you're like, I want to be all of me and be authentic, but I'm afraid if I am, this relationship will fracture. Mm -hmm. And I say, fracture it or deepen it. You know, that's the choice you're in in that moment, because the relationship based on two actors pretending to be someone uh, else is not free. It's not yeah. in any way expansive. Mm-hmm. And you have to completely, in some ways, be. you have to be willing to risk the eruption of your relationship to make it one where you're free to be authentic.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have to be willing to take a risk, you know, and, and choose yourself. And that's what always takes me aback when i talk to people and i say hey you know just bring yourself and and be self expressed and and ask for what you want and also know that they have no obligation to give you that and if they can't it's okay you know that's yeah. okay and they say well wow. what, if, what if they say no though well then you know that that's not right path for you and so i think again it comes down to this lack of trust that we're going to be okay right because many of us haven't had safety and security or we do think that you know we're inherently broken and flawed because so much of our programming is you know old religious programming that we're not even aware of many of us have no no identification with religion and yet our programming is religious it's this idea that like we're born broken, right? We're all born sinners. That's what, like, I was taught when I was. Young. I mean,
0: that's because Eve ate the apple. Without that, I mean, well, how does that place women too, right? Even that story of origin is, yeah, yeah. A not thumbs up. I mean, <laughs> ow, <Man. laughs> it's a great that's story that. of origin. <laughs> yeah, you
1: know when I was um, when I was doing my training, we did these shadow work containers, and we would all meet up three hours a week in a room, just dark little room with barely any windows. And we'd sit around in a circle with the same people every week. And we would do shadow work, we would reveal those, you know, dark corners of our minds, and we would reveal secrets. Uh, and we would just be really brutally honest about some of our, you know, hateful thoughts, or our judgmental thoughts, or the parts of ourselves we don't love. And then we would work to integrate them. And one of the things that we would do is this suffering competition, And it was literally a competition to show off how much we've suffered and compared to other people. So our teacher would start off by saying, okay, so raise your hand if you think you've suffered more than anybody else in the room. And then everybody would have their hand raised. And we'd be looking around the room and just already you're laughing because you're like, wow, of course, I think I've suffered more than you. And everybody thinks that. And then we would just have a competition and we would start to reveal, you know, I've suffered more than you because and we would all tell our stories. And by the end, you know, everybody is broken open We're People are crying. People are feeling so much empathy. People are like busting their own stories that they've suffered more because the person next to them went through something so horrific and they're still here and they're beautiful people. And we're just like, wow, what a story I'm carrying that my pain makes me separate, right? It's like the human condition. And so if we were just more honest and vulnerable, we would have such better and healthier relationships. Um, But it's those very things that we keep hidden away and then we can't get close to people.
0: Yeah. And, and then that righteousness of the pain, which keeps, creates hierarchy with ourselves and other people where they can't meet us. And in a way we don't want them to meet us because it means being loved and being met and being, and also I think letting go this, it might sound weird, but I, I don't, I, it's not ever to dismiss someone's suffering, but to say, to let go of the righteousness of the suffering Mm -hmm. allows you to be actually on a level with everybody. And when you recognize you know the the common human experience of pain. Then now, and, and you recognize it within yourself. Then now, you can recognize it in another. And they might not even recognize that their pain is not necessarily unique and not necessarily a reason to isolate. Just by being you and having done that process, you hold a space or a reference point for them to come back to that mutuality. And mm-hmm. and really, I think that's how community is created. You know, yeah, that. That we're having this conversation and maybe for some people it's the first time they've heard this Heard this humanized. That it's like, oh, wait, it's actually normal to experience this. It's normal to experience. It's normal to actually not know what the fuck you're doing in relationship. I think when you get that, you know, anyone who says they have it all figured out, run from them.
1: Yeah, because, they're lying.
0: Right, because <laughs> every time I'm like, oh, I think I, I got it. It's like universe is like, you don't got shit. Like Hope you enjoyed your
1: twenty-four hour pass back on your ass.
0: (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. The (laughs) twenty it it was a good run you had for a moment there where you thought you were uh you know, you thought you had it together and now you know. (laughs)
1: That's how it feels for me. Like Ben and I will be like on this high, you know, but like, oh like we really got this thing. Like our we got our conscious relationship figured out. Like we don't fight anymore. Communication is so good. like, we're having all these great breakthroughs, everything's so good. And then it's like back a few steps <laughs> starting over. And I'm like, why am I in relationship at all? I should just go live in the mountains and be alone.
0: <laughs> of course, the other part, person in the mountains is like, don't come here. This is my mountain. I need yeah. silence. I don't want to enter relationship. I went to the mountain to get away from them. And I mean, that really shows us how important, you know, you talk about this too all the time that like, if your wounding occurs in relationship, that's where you got to heal it. We can have all our shit together when we are alone and single. And I don't have to like who I am is not bumping up against who someone else is. What I want is not bumping up against what someone else wants. But how do two people be in love and still be free. That's Mm -hmm. ultimately the goal, right? Is because I think about the structure of how relationship is communicated from a media, you know, all the influences for us. And just how we treat people who've been divorced. We say, Mm -hmm. you are, so we sort of have a hierarchy of relational status. If you're married, you're better than someone who's engaged. You're better than someone who's dating. You're way better than someone who has that awful illness of singleness. And then if you're divorced, we are sort of put below that. And then we also have a, a hierarchy of length. So the longer you've been together, the more credit we give you. And certainly um, relational length is some measure of relational success. But there are plenty of people who've been together for 75 years who fucking hate each other. So that's not, you know, it's not always that. But we don't celebrate relational depth. Mm-hmm. We just celebrate status and length. And what's interesting about that is the... The, because relationship status is celebrated then we put our worth in whether we're in a relationship we ask people hey are you um like why are you single like yeah. they have a ailment and, <laughs> right and what it reinforces is you you don't have someone who's chosen you so are you worthy of being chosen there's no yeah. evidence of it so we seek relationship to make it so no one asks us that anymore, right? To fulfill, someone has validated us, which I think occurs a lot more so for women, the messaging is for sure there mm-hmm. to say, uh, and also for women to hold together relationships, uh, to over-function for yeah. um, the underfunctioning that that men often have because we don't have emotional development. We're not mm-hmm. encouraged to be emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, based on the structure of relationship that we've inherited, uh, men overfunction in the providing space and women overfunction in the emotionality and the community mm-hmm. aspect space. And, you know, it's this idea that, you know, I was saying like the because we're afraid of a relationship ending because we will be kicked out of our community, we don't have conversations and we personally don't exist in a way that might end a relationship. And I thought about that line from Harriet Lerner's book, uh, Dance of Intimacy, where she says, if you're not free to come and go from, if you can't live without the relationship, then um, you're not free to leave it. Like if, mm-hmm. you, and, and you're sorry, you'll never be free to be yourself in the relationship. Yeah. yeah, And I thought, well, that's so true. If you believe that your safety exists in the relationship status, which it very often does, and as you were saying earlier, um, marriage Evolved to create new more in-laws it was Mm -hmm. not based on love it was based on you know women could have bank accounts they couldn't vote you know they could get mortgages right yeah and and so it very much was a way to how do i survive yeah and so then you look at what we want today from a relationship and it's like why do i have such a hard time asking for what i need Mm -hmm. oh my god yeah of course because you've been evolutionary program for thousands of years to not be too much Mm -hmm. and men are like, I don't understand why my partner, and I'm speaking heteronormatively, don't know how to, I don't know why they want to talk all the time and why I don't have the words for my feelings. Well, you've been severed and castrated from your feelings for mm-hmm. thousands of years, you yeah. know? So it's like, we're doing fucking hard work now, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, this shit are. isn't simple, this shit yeah. is hard. And the book is called Dance of Intimacy by Harriet Lerner. Yeah.
1: yeah, she's one of my yeah. Yeah. so I love her.
0: She's so good
1: yeah I just interviewed her. actually. We did a little YouTube video. It's on the Rising Woman YouTube. We talked about the mother daughter relationship. I loved her book, The Dance of Anger too. I thought it was really, really good. It got through that one in like two days. I couldn't put it down.
0: She's fire, yeah know? she's, she's great really fire yeah um she also has a book now on forgiveness. I think that just came yes,
1: why won't you why won't you apologize? yeah, um, yeah.
0: I saw her give a talk once on, you know, on forgiveness and it was incredible.
1: Mm, yeah. She's wonderful. Yeah, you know, it's interesting uh, what you were talking about there, that idea of like, if you're not free, if you need the relationship so much that you can't be yourself, you know, you can't, you can't exist without the relationship. Um, I've noticed that lately there's like a lot of memes flying around uh, on these like relationship sites, but they're very disempowering. And, and I'm, I'm curious, about who's writing these things. Cause there was one where it was like these slides and it was like signs you're in the wrong relationship. And the first one was like that they forget important events. And I was like, okay, well, (laughs) my husband forgets anything if I don't put it in the calendar. (laughs) And the next one was like, uh, they could go a whole day without talking to you. Like if Um, a person can go a whole day without talking to you, you're in the wrong relationship. And I was like, this is like the most codependent, disempowering thing i've ever heard like when my husband goes away on on trips with his guys and this is like a monthly occurrence i'm so excited to have the house to myself and we don't text we (laughs) must not
0: love him then
1: we're right but it's so interesting right because people are like oh are you gonna miss him i'm like well not really like it's three days and it's our time to be apart and enjoy ourselves. And, you know, we'll text each other goodnight, maybe, but we don't talk on the phone or anything. I'm in my world and he's in his. And and I think it's interesting that we have these misconceptions that, you know, if you're separate in any way from your partner, if you're not attached at the hip or if you don't desperately need them, that there's something wrong. It's like, we don't know how to just be two individuals sharing a path you know, supporting each other. Instead, it's like, what am I going to get from you? What are you going to give me? Like, let me drain you of all of your energy. Like, <laughs> just it's weird.
0: Like you and, complete me.
1: Yeah, I think that that's why I'm so passionate about relationship and, and teaching about it. Because I think, I mean, freedom is one of my core values. I know this is really important to me. And it's been really beautiful to to build a conscious relationship with someone who also you know, we can come together and go deep. And we can also, you know, be apart and be, you know, we have other things to focus on, which is service. I think that one of the highest forms of relationship is two people coming together, and they make each other better, so that they can go out into the world and serve more and give more, rather than draining each other like batteries, you know?
0: Yeah, agreed. I think there's a When you value your own time, space and individuality, then you will value, respect and encourage your partner's time, space and individuality, you know, and that's uh, we were talking earlier about how uh, Disney movies give us this idea of unrealistic about relationships and. Certainly, even this idea that you have to abandon your dreams for somebody, like the model relationship that we learned from was basically self abandonment and codependency mm-hmm. for both sides. And so it's interesting. Now we have to learn the skills of how to be a whole self, you know, and that's what boundaries do is they just draw a line around who you are. They preserve your wholeness. But if you don't know who you are, then you don't know where to place a boundary. Mm-hmm. And boundaries are so healthy within a relationship because they say, I love you enough to tell you this, what I need from you. Yeah. And I encourage you to have boundaries too. Now, to receive a boundary is a whole different avenue than declare one. Because when you receive one, you have to process all this stuff about yourself too. Yeah. So you're like, oh, did I hurt them? Did I not? How does that make me feel? And uh, I've really, instead of, you know, where people relate to attachment styles and they say Mm -hmm. things like, um, I'm anxiously attached or avoidantly attached or secure or whatever, I always encourage them, it's like, it's not about the relationship, uh, the closeness to the other person. So much as it's about the space between us and another. So, like, if you're anxiously attached, you don't like space between you and another. And if you're avoidantly attached, you need space between you and another. And both of those serve as a way of protecting ourselves, as opposed to the space of being a place where we nourish ourselves. That's a totally different way of being, which secure attachment really is about.
1: Yeah. And the whole attachment styles thing is interesting because there's no static attachment style in my experience. Like, I've I mean, I've met a few people Amen. who are like consistently across the board anxious in all relationships. <laughs> yeah,
0: I was pretty good at being avoidant for a while, static.
1: Yeah, yeah. So some people stay static, but also like based on who we're in relationship with, it can shift, right? Like yeah. I've noticed I can go in and out of you know all sorts of different attachment styles. My kind of default tends to be avoidant now. It used to be anxious, um, but now if I'm feeling really stressed and I'm in in reaction mode it's avoidance not anx- anxiety so i think it can shift but i also like to encourage people not to identify too much with yeah, those terms like i'm anxious like i'm anxious attachment and that's how it is well no i mean you can grow into secure and and part of that is by actually choosing people who want to do that with you, like who are secure and who want to, you know, co-regulate with you. It's nervous system work. Um, This idea that we're going to be, you know, trapped as an uh, anxious or avoidant attachment for the rest of our lives doesn't have to be true.
0: No. And it's, that's, I think the challenge with a lot of psychological language is the Um, although understanding a label can be important because we finally put a construct to something that we've been never able to figure out. Uh, Eventually, you realize that a label can become a prison too because we've become attached to the security of the label. And the dance of avoidance or anxiety is familiar. That's why it's so easy to pivot between the two because you can just go from, I love you, I love you, I need you, and then, Mm -hmm. oh, shit, you're real close. You need to back up, you know? (laughs) And and you start to, you know, when someone was asking about um, how do you become securely attached? Well, secure attachment is really like my partner's needs matter as much as my own. Not more than my own that's anxious, not less than my own that's avoidance. So it's really just about discovering who you are, discovering how to have healthy conversations. Not having conflict is not a sign of a healthy relationship. It's how we handle conflict that indicates the health of a relationship.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally, and that's—I mean—that's what my work has been in—in in my partnership for as long as we've been together. It's all been about learning how to dance in the space of conflict in a more healthy and secure uh, way.
0: Hardest work, hey. It's yeah. like my so nervous hard. system is like, "Fuck this," and I'm yeah. like, "I <laughs> love you." You know, it's like a yeah. this weird juxtaposition, and it's interesting because it's the same sort of thing we're being asked to recognize in terms of how we isolate ourselves—is we we are both biological and have a spiritual experience. And I I think of a line that Ron Doss quotes a lot, which is from, I think it's from Christ. And it's Mm -hmm. that to be in this world, but not of this world. Mm -hmm. And I think we can often forget about the human experience, like that we are biological, that we have nervous systems, that we are reactive, that we can, you know, we have anger, we have all these different things. And we think that if we hit some sort of spiritual plane, we will be free from all of these things and you know we talk about you know in more Buddhist language that anger is is wrong or bad. Um, you know I heard yesterday that anger is is sadness bo- is sad's bodyguard mm-hmm. And I yeah. thought that was a really cool way of of thinking about it, but recognizing that we actually need anger and anger can be clean and really transformative. I mean, look at the Me Too movement, look at the Women's March, you know, look at, look at actually that there's, although we are um, experiencing a crazy time right now with the pandemic, we also have liberties that are being taken from us. And so can we actually experience the emotional response of what it's like to lose liberties? I mean, that's a big deal. And I always say to people, like, don't forget the things you give away right now, mm-hmm. because yeah. we know so often, like, you're from Vancouver, so you know what I'm talking about. When yeah. the Vancouver Olympics came, this, this, they were like, we're going to raise the cost of parking in all of Vancouver, but don't worry when the Olympics are done, we'll lower the cost again. Of course they don't. And, and I feel like I fear that that might be what might occur mm. today. And that scares me, of course, because yeah. right now we're in such uncertain times. And if you're not anxious right now, I don't know how you're doing it. Mm-hmm. I think some like small level of anxiety is pretty helpful because, or is pretty normal because collectively we're experiencing it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, we're so conditioned to, to distance from emotion and, and to make certain emotions wrong. I think like you're saying, anxiety is a bit of an alarm bell, like, Hey, something isn't quite right here. and. Anchor as the ad's bodyguard, as you said, is so true because what we do is we always, we come out to defend whatever is most, you know, tender and vulnerable underneath the surface. So somebody who is really, you know, externally maybe arrogant or, you know, aggressive or rude, those people are often the most sensitive and insecure. So totally. it's really, it's interesting because people don't get that. That like whatever is on the outside, is usually the opposite inside that they're protecting, Mm. right? And so that's That's why, you know, when we talk about conflict, being in the space of conflict with anyone, our, our gut reaction is to react, right? It's to defend. But actually, if we take a breath, if we pause, if we're with it for a moment, we start to see, oh, what's underneath that anger? It's fear of being rejected. It's fear of being abandoned. It's this hurt little part of me. I feel humiliated right now. I don't want them to see that they hurt me. That's way too vulnerable. So I'm going to bare my teeth instead. I'm going to sink my claws into them. And um, and so this is this like reaction that we've learned to use in order to protect ourselves. And so if we can actually be aware of it, then we can say things like, hey, I need to take a moment here. I'm feeling really defensive, mm-hmm. you know, and that in itself is like a signal to our partner. Like, oh, I just... I poked something in them. Like I just triggered a wound there and they're feeling defensive. Maybe I can calm my own nervous system. And we have to like, start to use these types of language, these types of words and use these sentences that will alert our partner that, Hey, I'm not okay. And maybe it's too vulnerable to say, you know, ouch that hurt. Maybe you just need to say what you're feeling. I'm feeling angry right now. I'm feeling defensive. I'm feeling like shutting down, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to just run away right now, but I'm just going to stay here for a moment. Just need to take a breath. What a bridge that
0: is! What a bridge that is! You know, all of our responses in conflict that are not helpful, like defensiveness, criticism, rolling your eyes—you know—all of those stonewalling, withdrawing, all of those things. When we come to the realization that all of those are actually just ways of protecting us from being hurt, there is a compassionate moment there. I love what you said because we, in the moment where we're triggered, if we choose an alternate response, which can just be a request for a moment. Yeah, We are now in a moment we've never been in, in a conflict. Yeah, And so we will get deeper and deeper and we learn to regulate our nervous systems in those moments yeah. where, because of course flooding, when I used to get into conflict, I would get so flooded that I couldn't use my voice. My body would be so flooded. My brain was shut down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I have so many sentences going on in me right now and I just couldn't get them from wherever they were. To- <laughs> and when I was, I'm a, for sure a recovering defender. Defensiveness was my mm-hmm. jam and still sometimes is. Mm-hmm. And when I read the antidote from the Gottman's word defensiveness is to say, I can see some truth in what you're saying. And I was just like, I remember in the one conflict, my friend saying to me, oh, you're being defensive right now. And I was like, I can see some truth in what you're saying. And I was like, (laughs) oh, uh, uh." it felt like I, my self-worth was taking a big hit because behind, as you were saying, behind the defensiveness and the reactivity was actually sadness and a feeling of unworthiness. So it was the opposite. And in that moment though, what I recognized is I was now in a bridge of a conversation where normally I threw a wall up and withdrew and I'd never been there before, not at least that I could consciously remember. Mm-hmm. And our friendship continued to go deeper and deeper. And mm-hmm. and that was such a cool thing to experience that the, when you when you learn to heal your ways of protecting yourself from being hurt, you actually build more connectedness and you end up in spaces you've never been in. And then you recognize that relationships can be a way that you've never known, mm-hmm. that you can now finally like... Everything you you dreamt of, that your soul called you towards in love, is possible because you've put down the arms and said mm-hmm. connection is more important to me than being right right now, and that's yeah. that's why I think humility is probably the greatest trait in a relational partner. And you know, I didn't always have a lot of it, and sometimes I struggle to have it, but it's again a protective <laughs> mechanism, and I've yeah. really been. Um, I'm always so impressed when my partner in conflict is so, when she handles some feedback and is like, you're right. And I'm like, I never used to hear that as a person in relationship. You know, I'm like, I'm right. What is happening? Ah."
1: (laughs) Totally. Well, it's a good way to diffuse an argument, too, if you're not doing it sarcastically. um, Yeah, that's another whole other thing but which I'm guilty of, of having done to my partner. <laughs> um, but when you do it from a really, yeah, hum, hum, can't even speak humble place, uh, then it, it can change things. Right. And I think that you're right. Humility is such a beautiful trait. I really admire that trait in other people because I think that it really allows us to connect and Even in myself, you know, when I did those multiple years of deep, deep shadow work and really got in touch with my armor, right, which Mm -hmm. was my like, I'm not, I'm not good enough. People don't love me, people will hurt me or people don't like me. So I don't want anyone to get in. So even my friendships couldn't go deep, you know, and for me to see those walls, one of my defensive mechanisms was just to judge in my mind. I could just judge people as better or worse. And that way I couldn't, I didn't have to get close And so kind of dropping those judgments allowed me to come into deeper relationship with people that I wouldn't have been able to get close with before. And so as a result, my community connections have just grown tenfold because, you know, I can go deep with these people that maybe weren't safe before. So that's I think beautiful. when it comes to humility, it's, you know, it's looking at our minds, looking at our judgments, looking at, you know, all of the ways that we use judgment uh, for separation. And that is what's going to to bring us deep uh, and, and we'll have happier lives because of it.
0: Amen to that. You know, if you learn how to be good at romantic relationships, which anyone can learn because it's just skills, they're just skill yeah. sets. Uh, all of your relationships will thrive and your life will thrive and the health benefits of being good at relationships or, you know, being able to navigate conflict well, not only will be very predictive of outcomes in your workplace and things like that, or as a parent, but they'll be incredibly predictive of your health and, Mm -hmm. you know, even cognitive decline and all of these things. And that's why the work is so important. And there was a line in uh, Eric Fromm's book, The Art of Loving, where he said, there is not one thing that humans fail at more than love, yet do not take the time to learn. Mm -hmm. And I thought, and he talks about how if it was anything else, we would take the time to learn mastery and you know, mastery, we can all become relational masters. I know that you and Ben just put out a couple's course. So that's perfect timing because, mm-hmm. you know, if you're ready for some shadow work, yeah, mm-hmm. get ready. <laughs> if you're ready to learn your patterns, I mean, if you're on this live, then you're already um, asking questions. Yeah. yeah. Which is beautiful. Totally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is awesome. I feel like Thank you, you so much. Go all day. We'll wrap it up. Thank you to everybody who joined. Let's do this again soon.
0: Yeah. Let's have you over on my channel. Thank you so much for having me. I love you. I appreciate you. Um, and this will be saved. I'll share it on my channel too. Mm -hmm.
1: All right. Love you, darling. Thanks. Have a beautiful day and bye everybody.
0: Bye everyone.